ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Let's go to Gaza and the plight of children in particular. The head of UNICEF, Catherine Russell, has told the UN Security Council almost 10,000 children have been killed or injured in Gaza. The deaths and casualties, though, are only part of the tragedy. What are the long-term problems for children in Gaza and also Israel who are traumatised by this war? Well, James Elder is global spokesman for UNICEF and he joins us. James, uh, first, um, I believe that UNICEF has raised again the plight of Israeli children being held hostage. What are you seeking? Well, from the very first day that they're immediately unconditionally released, I mean, Gaza is a hellish zone right now and we get a sense that there's probably around 20 boys and girls Israeli children somewhere in Gaza maybe in a tunnel we don't know but the only safe decent place for them is back with their families back in Israel does UNICEF have the capacity to make contact with any of Hamas's representatives maybe through third parties to open back channel negotiations No, at the moment, it's being done at a very different political level, uh, would be my understanding. Uh, I mean, obviously, as a as a neutral player in all of this, we will speak to anyone as long as it can benefit children. In this case, though, my understanding is that the hostages are being dealt with at a different political level. Mm. I want to turn to the children in Gaza, the children of Gaza. What is the immediate danger they face? I'm, I'm thinking of the next few days, the next couple of weeks. Honestly, Andrew, the the most intense fear that they have, their parents have every single day is literally being killed. When you've got what are now reports of thousands and thousands of children being killed in a very small space of time, this is unprecedented even for a place like Gaza. So it has become a a graveyard for thousands of children and a living hell for many, many more. The density of that population, it means you've got around 1.1 million children there. So UNICEF's biggest concern, of course, is for those children simply to avoid the shrapnel and avoid the shells. At the same time, of course, when you're unable to get humanitarian access in, then we really risk this death toll increasing exponentially. If incubators start to fail, hospitals go dark, children have no access to clean water and medicines, we're seeing these things play out. Then, of course, we have the very real fear because we see it from Afghanistan to Syria to Gaza, Andrew, and that's the trauma on these boys and girls. Yeah, well, I want to speak about that because your colleague, Catherine Russell, who's the executive director, wrote a piece recently for The Atlantic and some other publications. She mentioned that something like three quarters of the children in Gaza may face long-term mental health problems. Yeah, the terrifying number is that before this, of course, everyone knows that this didn't start with those atrocious attacks in Israel or against Israelis on the 7th. Gazans have endured many different violent conflicts over over the last decades. If you're a 15-year-old girl in Gaza right now, you've already endured four or five of these. So in fact, around four-fifths of that 1.1 million children, just around 800,000 children anyway in Gaza, report some kind of mental stress, some kind of mental health issue that they've got. That number, Andrew, was before 
this current conflict. That's children before the 7th of October. So one can only imagine now that it'll be hard, honestly, to find a boy or girl there who has not got some kind of mental stress, mental health issue because of what's occurred over the last three weeks, much less the last three years. What about children, unborn children? I noticed that there are particular concerns that UNICEF has there. You've got large numbers of pregnant women, of course, okay? So if we know, any of your listeners will know the kind of environment that an expectant mum wants at 33, 34, 35 weeks. That's not the case. These pregnant women are, of course, hiding in schools, hiding in health facilities. Those schools and health facilities come under attack they're lacking medicines, they're lacking the kind of healthcare they need, certainly not healthcare professionals, much less medicines. There's large numbers of children in incubators. They need power. Power needs fuel. No one's been able to get fuel in for three weeks. A whole range of things that people there are facing. I mean, I have colleagues in Gaza, of course. UNICEF still has colleagues trying both to protect their children and to support. And and one of those, she spoke about her four-year-old. She spoke, she's got two children, seven and four, and her four-year-old is a little girl, Talia. And she explained that Talia is already showing signs of, of real mental strain, that she's doing self-harm, she's pulling out her hair, she's scratching herself or scratching her thighs and until they bleed. And you've got a mum who knows this. She works for UNICEF. She understands what trauma looks like. And she said simply, but I don't have the luxury to think about Talia's mental health. I just keep telling myself, keep my children alive. And when all this is over, I'll try and find that mental mental health and mental support care. That, of course, is not a decision any mum anywhere on the planet should be having to make. Uh, if the calls for a cessation or a pause in conflict are somehow realised, let's just say in the next uh, couple of weeks, what is the sort of work that UNICEF would have to do on the ground in Gaza? I think there's two parts. One is one of the reasons we keep calling for a ceasefire is that a couple of days ago, earlier, UNICEF's executive director spoke about something like 420 children are reportedly killed or injured every day, every single day. So if we can get a ceasefire for three days, for 72 hours, that's a that's a 1,000 children who won't endure shrapnel or shells against their bodies. So that's the only way that an organisation like UNICEF can see this. How can we keep as many children as possible safe? Now, if we get that ceasefire, if we get, most importantly, unfettered humanitarian supplies going through, and it's a lot of supplies are needed, it'll be just much more of what we're doing. We've been able to get in around 25 trucks. That's medicine, syringes, gauzes, water, supplies for hospital surgeries. We need to add a zero to those 25 trucks, Andrew. So that's what it'll be for us. It'll be life-saving materials. It'll be fuel so they can pump water and, and get clean water. It'll be fuel so hospitals, doctors don't have to do surgeries under torchlights. And it'll be a huge amount of medicines for those hospitals. I'm also thinking, though, James, very long term, well, maybe not that long term, but I assume many schools have been destroyed. I know that a university was hit. What can UNICEF do long term there? It's hundreds now of schools that have been damaged or destroyed. It's dozens of health facilities. These places 
you know, you come to the letter of the law, these must be protected. That's clearly not happening. We do frontline work everywhere. So whether it's for children from, you know, Syria or in the Pacific or Ukraine, we do know what needs to be done. We do know how to rebuild back schools. We know that we have those citizens in Gaza who you can rely on to work as teachers. We will need a huge number of mental health counsellors and there will need to be a lot of investment. The world will need to step up perhaps in ways that it hasn't so far to support those people in Gaza. And that will be exactly as you say, that'll be rebuilding health facilities, rebuilding schools, getting children the kind of mental health care that they are going to so desperately need. I think, Andrew, one thing I would add to this is that there's such a high number of children in Gaza. It is 50% of the population, something like 1.1 million any economist or demographer will tell you that if you get that right with that population, if you make sure that they go to school, they learn, they get the right skills, then they become an incredible workforce. They become this investment into their community, into a tax base in five, 10 years. It's a, almost like the envy of aging countries. That's a demographic dividend. That's what Gaza could have, could offer to the region. If you get it wrong, of course, you have the, quite the opposite, a demographic disaster, ongoing insecurity, children without education without any of the understandings of that. So it's such an important population to be caring for. And of course, we're seeing quite the opposite of care right now. Good to speak with you, James Elder. He's the global spokesman for UNICEF. As you can hear, he's also an Australian. Thanks for joining us on the program, James. It's a pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.